You're listening to Food Psych, a podcast about nutrition, eating disorders, and body image. I'm your host, Christy Harrison, and I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counselor specializing in health at every size. Join me as I talk with interesting people from all walks of life about their relationships to food. Hey guys, welcome to episode 66. Today I'm talking with the fabulous Akira Robinson, who is a therapist specializing in relationship issues, and she has her own journey toward intuitive eating that she has chronicled in personal essays um, that I came across online and just really loved her writing and wanted to talk to her for the podcast. She has an awesome story of what led her to start dieting in childhood, why she decided to try intuitive eating and how her journey is going so far. And she's also married to a chef, so we talk about what it's like to be married to a chef and to sort of have your own relationship with food evolving as you're living with someone who makes their living preparing food for other people. She's a really fabulous guest, and I can't wait for you guys to hear from her in just a moment. But first, I want to point you to a couple of great resources for helping improve your relationship with food. The first is my free quiz to assess your relationship with food and see how healthy it is. I'll send you your results via email along with more than a dozen personalized, individualized tips to help you make peace with food wherever you might fall on the spectrum right now. Take the quiz and get your results today at christyharrison.com quiz. That's christyharrison.com quiz. The second resource I want to share is my intuitive eating online course. It's a 13-week program that I created to help you work through all the principles of intuitive eating in depth and really demystify and troubleshoot the common areas where people tend to get stuck. I'll show you how to recognize the diet mentality even in its subtle forms and how to start substituting healthy thoughts instead. I'll share my secrets to making food and exercise choices from a place of self-care rather than self-control, and I'll teach you how to navigate emotional eating and how to stop alternating between restricting and overeating, and so, so, so much more. Several participants have shared that the course has helped them make peace with their quote off-limits foods already. As one participant put it after trying one of their quote-unquote bad foods, I felt free, sweet, sweet freedom. Why was I so afraid of this food? I doubt I'll feel the need to buy another package when this one's gone, but just knowing it's off the bad list tastes and feels like a huge epiphany. What a moment of power. Participants are also having major revelations about how the diet mentality is hanging on in hidden ways. As one participant put it, before doing this module, I really thought I had given up the diet mentality. Now I realize that although I consciously reject dieting, I still have plenty of work to do towards accepting myself as I am. It was great. It really helped me identify what I need to work on by bringing it to my full awareness. And yet another participant shared this beautiful revelation she had in the course. My worth is not my weight or my looks, but my heart, mind, and soul. I need to trade in my self-judgment for self-love and compassion. It feels impossible some days, but I'm going to do my best. I deserve it. If you'd like to join others on this intuitive eating journey and have some beautiful revelations of your own, go to christyharrison.com course to learn more and sign up. That's christyharrison.com course. 
And then finally, if you like the podcast and want to help us reach more people who need to hear the body positive message, you can leave us a great review on iTunes. And I really appreciate people who've left reviews so far. Just open up iTunes on your computer, type in Food Psych to the search bar, click the result that comes up under podcasts, and then go to the ratings and reviews tab. There you can leave a rating and reviews sharing what you love about the podcast. And I'm so, so grateful for these nice reviews because they help bring us up in the ratings and help more people find these positive messages. Now, without any further ado, let's go talk to Akira Robinson. I spoke with her via Skype from her home in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So tell me about your relationship with food growing up. Oh, I loved food Mm. (laughs) growing up. Food was, yeah, food was a good friend of mine growing up. Mm. So my mom's side of the family is from the South. And food is really, really important um, to my mother's side of the family. And so I grew up eating um, just amazing food since I was a little girl. And yeah, I just, I really liked eating all of it, Uh, especially when we went to go visit my grandmother um, in the summers and, you know, for Christmas or whatever. So yeah, I definitely started to seek the comfort of food at an earlier age. And I was never really discouraged to not eat as much as I wanted to. Uh, One of my grandmother's uh, favorite phrases was, eat your stomach full. And she just always wanted to feed us. Um, She was a lunch lady, actually. So uh, she just loved feeding us as kids. And um, I started, you know, getting a little heavier you know, one summer after, after visiting her for the entire summer, I came home and, you know, I was a little, a little bigger. And, you know, my mom was like, Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's kind of where it started where I realized, Oh, my gosh, food is awesome, Mm -hmm. which, which it is. So yeah, yeah. Do you feel like that's interesting? Because it sounds like you were maybe encouraged to eat past like what you would have normally eaten or past the comfortable point of fullness to kind of like, extreme fullness, would you say? Or was it more just like you're turning to food as like an emotional kind of soothing mechanism or? I don't know if it was necessarily like, you know, you know, eat until you're like, incredibly stuffed. There was really no talk of of that or, you know, what is satisfaction. But I was definitely encouraged to clear my plate. I have memories of when I was a kid in my home having to eat everything on my plate. And my parents would actually put the dessert in front of me while I'm trying to eat the vegetables. And I was like maybe four or five. And so there would be a bowl of ice cream melting in front of me and my vegetables. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to eat this, but I really want the ice cream. Uh, So I learned like, we do not waste food. There are kids you know, starving in other countries, they would be happy to have that food. And so you need to eat, you know, everything on your plate. Wow. Yeah. So that kind of classic sort of reason to get kids to finish their food. Yep. With that added, it's so interesting that you had the visual cue too of the dessert <laughs> right there. <laughs> yes, it's it's really cruel. Like, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. But, you know, I mean, I understand what my parents were doing, I don't necessarily agree with it as an adult myself. But you know, I think that they just wanted us to be grateful for what we had and um, felt that that was a good way to to express that gratitude. 
Totally. Yeah. And that was such a thing back then. I think now Mm -hmm. we're sort of understanding the repercussions of of making kids feel guilty in that way. But I remember like as a kid too, like, you know, in the 80s and 90s, like seeing those commercials on TV where it was like people are starving in, you know, Ethiopia or whatever other parts of the world. I feel like they really harped on Ethiopia for a while. But like Mm -hmm. that was like you know the the refrain for a little while at my dinner table too I think it didn't really stick but like I definitely remember a few times that being invoked as a reason for me to finish my plate and I know a lot of people who kind of um fell into that as well yep well so and then you said like your mom made a comment when you came back from your grandma's that summer like oh you've (laughs) put on some weight or whatever (laughs) did that make you feel like you had to start controlling things or like, you know, changing your body or did it not really take root right then? No, it didn't. And it actually was like a funny thing. Like um, my brother and I both, we would go visit my grandmother for a summer and we would come back heavier. Mm -hmm. And it was never really, you know, because being a black woman, like that being larger was not Mm -hmm. um, the worst thing in the world. So, you know, we just kind of ate and kind of laughed whenever we gained weight. And Mm -hmm. my brother, you know, he has a different build than I do. So he's really tall. And so he was able to kind of lose whatever, you know, weight through activity or whatever. And Mm -hmm. for me, like I just I'm a bigger woman. And so even as a kid, like the weight kind of stuck to me. Uh, But it wasn't anything that I ever felt ashamed about until uh, middle school, mm. uh, maybe maybe like fifth grade, fourth, fifth grade, I moved from a very culturally diverse area to a predominantly white area. Mm. And so the differences in, you know, obviously my skin, my hair, um, even my body build were a lot more drastic to me or a lot more noticeable to me at that time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I had a lot of skinnier white kids um, making fun of me. And mm. that was when I started to feel like I was different and that, you know, the way I looked was wrong. And um, but I didn't really start doing anything about that until until high school. Mm. So it kind yeah. of was just building that sense of like not belonging or something being wrong with your body or different about your body. Yeah. I mean, in my family, it wasn't really an issue, um, Mm -hmm. except for whenever I had to go clothes shopping Mm. because it was really difficult to find clothes to fit. And so my mom, you know, would maybe make comments then. And there would be sometimes whenever my mom would say like, you're getting, you know, kind of big, Mm. you know, but my, you know, my parents are not the skinniest people. So mm-hmm. um, it was never something in my family where like I felt shamed about my weight. I more so got that from uh, schoolmates and also uh, a doctor that I saw. Um, she definitely shamed me anytime I had a physical. So yeah. Was that one of the things that set it off then? Like, oh, yes. This idea yes. Of dieting? Yeah. Tell yeah, me more definitely. about that. What did she say? So uh, I don't remember exactly. I think I was in, I was 15 at the time. And, you know, this was maybe my second or third appointment with her where she just was like, you know, you need to lose weight. You need mm. to lose weight. lose weight. And I didn't take it seriously. I'm just like, whatever. But there was a point where I just was tired of um, looking different. I was tired of not having, you know, boys interested in me. And so I really took 
her words to heart. And, you know, she tried to put me on a diet and I followed it. And then uh, as time progressed, things got um, a little out of control. And, uh, you know, I was definitely not following it, uh, you know, the way that she had advised. I was eating less um, and working out more. But, uh, yeah, so it, it kind of started with her. Uh, this I can remember the, the appointment very specifically. Um, I wanted to be on, like, the basketball team or something, and I needed to have her fill out some paperwork to say that I could do that. She just was like, you need to lose weight. And it's so funny to me because, you know, I'm like, trying to join a basketball team and like, you know, trying to take care of my body. And you would think that she would praise that, but she was just like, you know, you're a really heavy person and you, you need to not be, you know, who you are. It felt awful. It felt absolutely awful to the point where my mom was like, my mom was really upset too. Like, I think that she saw the way that that impacted me. Mm, Yeah. So you had like an ally at home, it sounds like to push back a little bit against that yeah yeah but yeah that's so that's so unfortunate and like I feel like that is has just gotten worse now that you know the whole like quote-unquote obesity epidemic has become such a public health priority it's like doctors will ignore people doing things that are actually good for their health in favor of saying like well your body looks bad though Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. looks too big you know like this this judgment from the medical profession is really intense and like it completely ignores that what they're supposed to actually be caring about which is health which is like mm-hmm. yeah g- like cool you're playing basketball great like you know get some movement take care of your body and then whatever it looks like it's going to be healthy on the inside mm-hmm. yeah Ugh, that sucks so yeah and it sounds like it spiraled into something like you know disordered eating or eating disorder I don't know how far it really went with you but like the the sort of going lower than the diet or exercising more? Like, how did that start to manifest? Yeah, so, and I don't, I mean, I don't want to get into too many specifics, but I definitely was not, I was logging food. I was definitely not eating nearly the amount that I was, that I should have been eating. It was, it was very unhealthy. Um, I was working out at least once a day, sometimes twice a day, going for runs, working on the workout bike, things like that. And I also had a friend, a really good friend of mine who we did, we never really like openly talked about this, but I'm pretty sure like she was having some issues too. So like we kind of latched on to each other um, in a way and just kind of encouraged each other, you know, to, to be unhealthy in these ways. And you know, my, my weight loss was significant. So um, I was getting a lot of positive feedback from folks. And so that kind of was an, an encouragement to me to, ki- to keep going. Um, and so I continued with it until about college, actually, I kind of laid off all of it when I started college. But um, yeah, high school, uh, sophomore, junior, senior year, I really started watching everything that I was eating pretty meticulously. Mm, so, yeah. and that's it's yeah. so unfortunate that people praise that. You know, they see whatever outer manifestation of this like hyper control as like a good thing or something to be praised, and don't understand what's going on inside your head. Mm-hmm, exactly, because I'm sure that that period of time was was really exhausting, right? Like. You yeah, know, having to fight against all those thoughts all day long is, is never fun. 
Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely had a similar moment of like starting a diet and then going, you know, like having it spiral into something else and like actually getting, you know, good feedback for that, like praise and not being called out for what I was actually doing to my body. So it was, you know, really detrimental because it's just like, I think the whole quote unquote thin ideal is so... Uh, detrimental to people in that way because it, mm-hmm. it just encourages really disordered behaviors that yep. you know ultimately catch up with you but it's like the praise kind of fuels the fire keeps yep. it going and then so you said in college though you kind of laid off was there anything in particular that made you decide to do that or like how did that happen I think at that point I was content with the amount I had lost and I was just so overwhelmed by all the other change in my life going on Mm -hmm. at that time. So it just wasn't a priority for me, but I still really struggled with my body because um, I had two roommates and one in particular, like she looked exactly like, you know, the young women that I went to high school with Mm -hmm. and um, she was very confident in her body. And so she would walk around, you know, naked sometimes and Mm. just like, and it wasn't anything to like, you know, flaunt anything or to make anyone feel bad. She just was a really confident person. And so, you know, me being a a larger black woman, I look, I would look at her and be like, Oh my gosh, I'll never look like that. And uh, she would get a lot of attention from men. And it was a really hard year for me in that regard. But I didn't really seek out, you know, controlling my my food intake or um, anything like that. I, I was exercising a lot, but I, I actually really liked the food at college. So <laughs> <laughs> I just like, I'm going to eat. But I do remember experiencing a lot of shame at that time because um, I just really constantly was comparing myself to her and other, you know, young women that I went to school with. So, yeah, that's really it's it's interesting how, you know, sometimes people's body confidence. It's great for her that she was confident in her body like that. But the sort of fallout of it when you don't look like that can be really detrimental as -hmm. opposed to like, you know, if, if. if this were a culture, you know, if you were in a culture in college where it was like all bodies were celebrated and body diversity was, you know, an acceptable thing, then you could have been like, great, and here's my body and I'm confident in that. But it, it wasn't that way. There's like this hierarchy instead. Yep, of exactly. What a valuable body looked like. Gosh. But I mean, also super cool that you made that decision about your food in the face of that, you know, and you kind of were able to sit with the discomfort of comparing yourself to her and not making changes in your food you know yeah yeah because that's a huge step in recovery and that like it's interesting how you know people have these winding paths to like finding body acceptance and finding intuitive eating and I work with a lot of people who are like you know coming to me to do this so they're kind of in this like systematized process where sometimes they go to a treatment center or they just work with me outpatient or whatever it is but you know kind of like helping shepherd people through the process is a lot of what you just like stumbled into, which is just like, okay, well, you have to eat because, you know, food is great. And also, you know, you need it to be healthy and like, you can't restrict your food and that's going to cause a lot more problems, but you have to sort of go through this uncomfortable phase of accepting like other people might look different and other people might be doing different things with food and like sort of messed up stuff that you are no longer doing. And you have to just accept like, 
this is me, that's them, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. moving forward, you know? Yeah. And in college, I mean, food was such a, it was such an integral part of community building. Mm-hmm. So we would, you know, go to dinner every night and it would be a large group of people and we would bond over that or we would go to mm-hmm. a restaurant on the weekend and go to brunch on Sunday after church. And like, it was such a big part of uh, college life. Uh, that it kind of felt, you know, impossible to restrict or avoid because I would have lost out on my social life and people would have known. Like in high school, it was fairly easy for me to hide uh, what I was doing because, you know, both of my parents worked and, you know, I was I was preparing a lot of my meals anyway. But in college, like, you know, everybody's hanging out and everybody's living together and they know what your schedule looks like. And so it was just difficult for me to do that anyway, which I think was a blessing, you know, that I couldn't hide and um, not ever eat, you know, in front of folks because they knew they were always inviting me out to hang out with them. So totally. Yeah, it was like a de facto meal support kind of thing. Exactly. That's very cool. And did people have pretty good relationships with food in that community you're in or? I think so. I think a lot of what I would see was unhealthy relationships with exercise. Mm, That was more of what I would see than the food side. I think, you know, my friends and I, we would eat, we would eat what we wanted. Um, Mm -hmm. People didn't really talk about restriction or anything like that. But exercise was like a big thing. Mm -hmm. People exercising, have to exercise every single day or you know, have to exercise for this amount of time. It was definitely something that I noticed in college. Right. So the disordered kind of relationship with your body just morphed into more on the exercise side. Yeah. Or for, yeah, everyone else too. But that's interesting because it, it sounds like in high school, it was for you, it was like both the food and the exercise. So you kind of dropped control, you know, trying to control one, which is at least a, a positive step. Yep. Yeah. And then, so from there, how did you start to like reclaim your relationship with your body? And, you know, I'm assuming this, the exercise, the sort of over-exercise and compulsive exercise piece still caused some issues, right? Like that definitely sounds like it was sort of gotten in the way of having an authentic relationship with movement and exercise. So, yeah. So I actually, in the, my junior year of college, I, I actually got sick and mm. didn't know, really know what was going on. And so I didn't have much of an appetite. And so my relationship with my body and food was very complicated at that point. But upon graduating, I ended up dating this guy who really just liked my body as is. In fact, I had lost some weight because of that illness. And um, as I was starting to get better and was starting to have more of an appetite, you know, he kind of made it clear to me like that he would prefer me to have gained some weight. Mm. So in some ways he would like try to fatten me up, which was kind of odd and unexpected for me. And so throughout that relationship, uh, my, my relationship with food and my body really was just on a back burner for me. Um, I, it wasn't something that I struggled with that much um, because I had this guy who was really just, you know, complimentary of the way that I looked and I just didn't feel a lot of insecurity in that regard. When we broke up, however, 
you know, I started to feel a lot more of that insecurity again. And, you know, I remember I was at work and I, I used to work with uh, kids uh, with special needs. And w- one of them like pointed at my stomach and asked me if I was pregnant. Oh, no. And yeah, yeah, she, she did. She did it. <laughs> and, um, you know, at that point, you know, I was already going through this breakup and, um, you know, just was kind of feeling a little rotten. So that started like another wave of dieting and exercising. I um, trained for a 10K, which was a great accomplishment for me. But I was definitely in this like calorie, counting calorie phase, um, really just restricting my food. And I, you know, I did lose some weight at that point. But I wouldn't even say that I had, you know, a healthy relationship with my body at that point either. So, yeah, I it kind of has been off and on for me until more recently after getting married, graduating from grad school and kind of just like settling down a little bit and realizing that this, this whole up and down thing with my body could go on forever if I let it. And I think at around that point, maybe two or three years ago, you know, is when I, I learned about intuitive eating and just kind of felt such relief of just, wow, maybe I don't have to do this anymore. Maybe I can just be content and take care of my body the best way that I can. And, you know, some months I'll be great at it and other months, you know, stress will pop up and I'll really struggle, but it's all a part of the journey. Um, I can be okay with myself. And so that's been a more recent thing for me is with this discovery of intuitive eating and just wanting to never diet again. I just, I don't ever want to do that to myself again. And it's been such a relief to realize that I don't have to. Oh, that's amazing. That's so cool. How did you, how were you introduced to intuitive eating? Goodness, I feel like, uh, how was I introduced? I feel like I saw a TED talk. I forget the name of the woman. Oh, yeah. But that was like my first introduction and I was like, oh my goodness, like this is a thing. (laughs) And so shortly after that, I ordered the book Mm -hmm. and I read the book um, and that was just revolutionary for me. I just was like, oh my goodness, like I've been a part of the, like I've been buying into the diet industry thinking that it was going to solve this problem. Meanwhile, like there really is no problem and um, me being you know, a user, a consumer of the diet industry is only feeding into a problem that isn't really there. Like my body's not a problem, you know? And so that, I remember, I think it's like the first three chapters of that book where they just kind of like slam the diet industry. And that for me was just like, I finally got it. Like this does not work. Like I have, my weight has been up and down, up and down, up and down. It's because it doesn't work. Yeah, just really being able to give myself permission to not engage in that. Because I I had even like tried all kinds of like paleo and like all those different things. Um, so it was like, I'm not going to count calories anymore. Like I'm not doing the MyFitnessPal stuff. I'm not doing the Weight Watcher stuff. But it was still a way to control and restrict that didn't always feel good to me. Like some days you know, I really just wanted some cheese. And mm. <laughs> and like, I just would tell myself, no, no, you can't have cheese. You're doing paleo. Like, you can't mm. do that. And so, 
just kind of reading that book and realizing like, oh my goodness, like I could eat anything, you know, and my body is a lot wiser than I give it credit for. Yes. It just was such a relief. That's amazing. Yeah, because you had, it sounds like you'd like gone through the ringer with all the different diets the way so many people have. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's not one thing, it's another. I'm curious how like when you were in those diet, you know, in that diet phase, how it impacted your relationship with like your family around food, because it sounds like they had such a rich food culture that you probably weren't able to participate in at that point, right? Yeah, so what I remember the most, like, my parents are really supportive people. So like what I remember the most is like, sometimes I would make like self-deprecating comments Mm. and you know, my parents would be like, you know, shut up. You're fine. Like you look fine. You look great. Mm -hmm. Stop it. Um, And of course I didn't believe them, but you know, and I remember like there'd be times when I would like kind of shame my mom, like stop putting so much butter in things or uh you know, I can't eat that. I'm just going to order a salad. And, you know, they never really countered back with anything. They just would be like, okay, whatever, eat what you want to eat. Um, which is such a like, you know, intuitive perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Like eat what you want to eat. Right. Totally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I never really got a lot of backlash from them. They were fairly supportive. And, you know, when I was younger, like I was, I was fairly large and, you know, I, I did struggle a lot, um, you know, physically, like there were some issues. So I don't think that it was necessarily a bad thing for me to want to do what I could for my health. And so my parents saw that and they were encouraging of that. But I think at, after a certain point when I lost, you know, however much, like they were kind of like, all right, like you look fine, you feel better, you're active, you move your body, you can stop now, like you can stop treating yourself badly. You can stop talking about yourself in such a way. Uh, when when does this end? You know what I mean? Which I think is kind of, you know, that's a fairly healthy critique to have. But it, it was never really direct, you know, so it was kind of just like in passing, they would say those things to me, and it would go in one ear and out the other. And, you know, I would just eat my salad and be, be done with it. So but regardless, they were fairly fairly supportive regardless so yeah that's cool but it, I mean it sounds like it took you away from being able to eat the foods you wanted also so that's yeah and enjoy enjoy my time with them mm-hmm. so, yeah. yeah not be thinking about or fighting over like well I'm gonna eat this and you guys will eat that and all that stuff yeah having special foods yeah I know it's so interesting the whole thing of like because it sounds like for you and for so many people, I know I had this too, like it goes deeper than just wanting to like, quote, get healthier, you know, like it becomes about the aesthetics and then what mm-hmm. you think the aesthetics are going to get you, like what you mm-hmm. think is is going to sort of await you once you change your body to a certain degree or to some ideal you have in your head, right? Yeah. And especially around, I mean, I know for me, like some of the biggest triggers for my own disordered eating were like breakups or getting together with someone where I was like comparing against like other people he had dated or stuff like that, you know, where I was just mm-hmm. like in this really unhealthy relationship with like what I thought a guy wanted from me, which might or might not, might not have been the case. But like, you know, just sort of thinking like if I transform myself in this way, if I'm, you know, thin enough, he will love me and we'll have a perfect relationship or whatever it was, you know. 
Yeah. It was about yeah. like getting love. It wasn't about, you know, because like we all deserve love and connection, whatever our size, but it's so interesting how that lie is sold to us. Like, well, no, you have to be a certain size to get love, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ugh. So, yeah. So it sounds like it, it really triggered that when you had that breakup in college. Definitely. Yeah. And then sort of another aspect of that is that you're now married to a chef. And I'm so, <laughs> so curious to hear like how that has influenced your relationship with food. And like, you know, if part of your intuitive eating journey was sort of brought forward by being in this relationship with him. So I feel like I definitely felt a lot of guilt and shame, you know, because, you know, my husband loves Mm -hmm. food, loves eating, as he should. And in the beginning of our, you know, relationship and marriage, I would always feel like, oh, I should eat that or, um, you know, why are we eating this? And it just was really difficult to keep up because, you know, for him, the world was always his oyster in terms of food, like he will eat anything. So after learning about intuitive eating, it's been, you know, a big weight off of my shoulder of just like, I can eat whatever. Like if we're going to get barbecue, I can eat barbecue. If we're going to get pizza, like I can have pizza um, and I don't have to beat myself up over that. And so it's just, there's just been a lot more freedom and um, my my ability to kind of see his perspective, um, I still really struggle. So um, I don't ever want anyone to think that, like, you know, I just eat whatever and things are great. But yeah, um, you don't have any feelings about it or whatever. No, I, I yeah, I definitely I definitely still struggle. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm definitely also out of that phase of, you know, oh, well, you know, is that going to be paleo friendly or I need to be able to count how many calories in my little app, you know, because that's, that's what we would have to do. Like, that's how it was. And I think for him, it was always confusing because like there would be some seasons where I was really, really strict about things. And in other seasons where, you know, I would just eat whatever. And so there was a lot more freedom for him as well, where I just would just eat with him and it wasn't a big deal. But like like sort of you going, you going through the like diet and then backlash against the diet each time. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. And so that was probably very confusing for him. of just like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh. So at least at this point, like I still have my struggles, but, and and I'm, I'm a pickier eater just in general, Mm -hmm. but in terms of like weight loss and, you know, things like that, I, I don't ever put that like restriction on him like we can't go to this restaurant because you know x y and z yeah so you're not pursuing that anymore no no i don't have no i don't have apps on my phone and Mm. uh you know doing all of that stuff asking him to cook me certain things and oh don't put that in it or don't put that in it right Um, can be a lot more just open about what where we go and and what we eat, which I think has been helpful for us. I did contemplate, you know, a vegan diet, you know, more recently, but after some discernment, I was like, nope, I don't think that's going to be good for me in terms of how that would trigger Mm -hmm. my disordered eating um, history. So yeah, I was able to kind of make that decision quickly, but 
that's a good that sounds like really good awareness of you know and good attunement to your intuition right like yeah your intuition was probably like nope not so much (laughs) yeah I was like this seems interesting it seems aligned with a lot of my values and just like health wise I you know I have some stuff going on but I just was like oh you know I don't know if the whole restriction thing is gonna gonna go over too well so I need to maybe not do that (laughs) right that's excellent I love that and I think that's such a such a great place to get to and something that like, you know, I think is, is so much more available with intuitive eating because once you're kind of in touch with your intuition around food, you can also be in touch with your intuition a little more around like what might be triggering or, you know, really like all areas of life. But I think it's it's really valuable to have that instinct. Yep. Yeah. And I, I feel the same way too. I've had definitely moments, you know, in my past where I was like, not quite as, you know, I, f- I feel like now it's all put to rest basically, but like, and also because I work in this field, I just, I hear so many stories and I see so many people who are struggling with the same things. And like, I can sort of appreciate like being on the other side of that and how it doesn't work for anyone, you know, to, mm. to be pursuing these different like weight loss methods or whatever. But, but I think, you know, definitely had like some moments where I was like, oh, should I be vegan? Should I be vegetarian? And there was a little bit of a like, you know, there was the health factor, like thinking it was healthier and maybe that it would help me deal with some health issues I had. And then there was like the environmental or animal rights factor too and sort of thinking like it would be nice to be lower footprint, like have a, have a lower, you know, environmental footprint and a, a lower toll on animal life. And I do really value animals and stuff so that I I considered it and I definitely like you know toyed with it in both the case of veganism and vegetarianism but then it was the same thing where I was like if I really go down this road if I start being the person who's like I don't eat this I don't eat that that's really going to take me back to a place that I don't want to be like Mm -hmm. I've worked really hard to get away from and I think it's just never going to work for me to be strict about anything so yeah so for like seven years or something I haven't had any dietary restrictions whatsoever it's very liberating it's yeah it's really really cool to see because you know I still can have those values and I don't have to like eat meat every single meal or whatever I can like have you know a taste and appreciation for like a vegan you know dessert or a whatever I've gone to like some some restaurants that are vegan and vegetarian that are delicious and that's great that can be part of my repertoire but it doesn't have to be all of it you know yeah exactly exactly and I think it gets so tied up too with you know because there might be those sort of animal rights or whatever you know sort of like health concerns or whatever it is but it's so easy for that to tip over into like oh, but I'm also going to lose weight. I'm also going to change my body. Or in the case of the health concerns too, it's like this sense of like, oh, but I'll be cleaner. I'll be more pure. I'll be more, mm-hmm. you know, more clean, like whatever, the, the clean eating thing, which I think has so many flaws um, in terms of, you know, moralizing about food. That's exactly what I noticed in myself was just like, oh, well, you know, if I become vegan, then I'll lose some weight too. And mm-hmm. right when I started like really – thinking about that I was like no 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 you did that 15 years ago Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's let's not do that yeah let's not go back to the thing that didn't work and drove me crazy yeah it's so interesting I mean that's such a beautiful awareness to have because I think sometimes like when we're in denial or so locked into the disordered eating place it's hard to even recognize like oh that's 
that's an eating disordered thought or that's a you know that's a disordered thought or an unhealthy thought to be having like let me not follow it let me not like do what it's telling me to do you know so you have a little bit of separation from it and you can like decide whether to follow it or not exactly that's awesome so yeah where where do you feel you are now with your intuitive eating journey like what are you still working on or exploring further Yeah. So for me, I think my two main things are, you know, moving my body on a consistent basis and finding ways that I really enjoy doing that ways. I like to do that. So um, I'm just kind of figuring out, like, do I still actually like running or something that I used to do? And when was it last summer? I think it was like, or maybe it was the summer before that I was training for another 10 K and, you know, had already signed up for it and was doing what I could um, to train and prepare a struggle because I had one of those like trackers on my phone, how many miles and calories and all that. And it was really, really hard for me to the point where like, I kind of just stepped away from the training and just, you know, did what I could on the day of the race um, because messing with me. So I think like right now, it's just really hard for me to find the type of exercise that I enjoy um, without thinking too much about, you know, the calorie burning benefits or, um, you know, just all that stuff. Am I, am I sitting enough? Did I work out long enough? That's, that's the stuff that I'm really kind of working through right now and finding ways that I can move my body that feel good to me and I'm able to be present and I'm thinking so much about, um, Oh, like I probably burned, you know, whatever. That's something that I'm really working on. Um, you know, I've been hiking, like walking. I think I do enjoy jogging, so that's something that I've, I'm trying to experiment with. Um, yoga is something that I've been kind of like into off and on. So like one big struggle for me. Um, and then also just finding ways to deal with my stress that don't involve, you know, just eating and just mindlessly eating. Because I realize for me, that's like the big thing that that I do um, or have done in the past. It's just like, if I feel a little bit of discomfort or if I feel stressed or like if emotions are, are high, that's when I'm reaching for the potato chips or whatever the case might be. And it's fine to eat potato chips. I love potato chips, but (laughs) I also want to be in a place where, you know, I'm being, I'm making conscious decisions about what I'm eating and, you know, not eating when I'm not hungry. So those are probably the two things that I'm really um, processing and working on. Yeah, those are such big challenges. And I think the the exercise piece for a lot of people and for me too was like one of the last frontiers. Because mm. it's, it's so like, I feel like the way that exercise is sort of portrayed to us from such a young age is like, work it off or do this to make your body look a certain way, you know? And I've said on the podcast, like, I feel like it's, it's sort of the the earliest installation of like this idea that you can change your body and make it look different through like effort of your own. It's like get a big muscle, you know, make your arms big or whatever it is. <laughs> like you kind of there's just like 
this long inculcation that we all have with exercise as being like a tool for body change. So it makes sense that it would be like one of the hardest things to let go of too in this process of learning to to relate to your body intuitively because there really is no like education around intuitive movement you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think like learning to tune into your body's desire for movement just as you can tune into your hunger and fullness is like totally possible and totally useful but there's not a lot of like guidance around that in this fitness obsessed world we live in you know because I think the the diet industry is like overlaps with the fitness industry but definitely the fitness industry I think for the most part is like very much operates within that diet mentality of like do this to work off that or do this to make your body look you know in line with the thin ideal or whatever it is yeah exactly and I know like for me like I I know that I have gained some weight I'm not Mm -hmm. sure how much because I don't weigh myself but even just trying to like you know deal with that and you know, seeing that clothes are fitting me a little differently and um, I'm getting older and just all of those feelings and thoughts have been kind of difficult to to sort through. But I'm, I'm proud of myself because I'm doing so from a place of uh, like letting myself sit with the discomfort rather than just like, uh, let me just run and that'll fix it like I'm able to actually get to some of the underlying issues and work toward acceptance rather than just, you know, doing whatever I need to do to lose a certain number of whatever and and call it a day. So I'm proud of myself for that um, because I know what my tendency would would have been in the past. And, you know, I'm just not going there. It's not going to be, it's not going to work. It won't work. Stepping on a scale I'll have a number and then, and then what, you know, it it just isn't going to be beneficial for me. So really just trying to work on some of the, the root stuff that's going on with me right now and realizing like, I really love my body. Like, I know that there are a lot of people out there who like, I never thought that I could look the way that I look right now and still have love and respect for my body because you know, when I was 15 dieting, you know, I, I always told myself, like, you will never get back to a certain weight. Like, when you're older and you are pregnant, you're going to lose all your weight as soon as possible. Like, you're never going to put yourself back into that position ever again. That was, like, what I would tell myself. And so it's just so funny to be 31 now. And, you know, who knows what how much I weigh. I, I have no clue. But I know that I... I'm not as thin as I was before. And, you know, I still like, I don't have any, there's not a part of me that hates. I love who I am. I love the way I look. Like I love the clothes that I've I bought myself and like I buy dresses that make me feel good about myself and I love my hair. And so it's just such a, it's such an amazing thing. Like to realize like I'm actually getting at some root issues and I'm not just addressing symptoms here. And I I truly do care about myself. I care about my body and I I love the way I look and I don't I don't think I deserve shame anymore. It's just really it's amazing to me to be in that place. That's so amazing. Yeah, such a beautiful transition. So you're a therapist too, right? 
I am, yes. Yeah. Did you have to like do your own therapy as part of your training or did you did you go into therapy to work on some of these issues or how did that play into it? I think it should be a requirement. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think that therapists probably should go to therapy. I do. I personally do go to therapy. Yeah, Um, me too. I love it. Yeah. And so I am working on a lot of other issues that I think connect with my food and body stuff. And it certainly has come up a lot. So, but this is something that I really want to address more because I feel like as I've worked on other things and I'm like kind of in a healthier place in regards to other areas of my life, I find myself in this place of just like, okay, so I love and accept myself as I am. However, you know, I want to, um, I want to behave in a way um, that illustrates that because I think that's sometimes where I struggle the most. And so I think, you know, going to therapy and and talking about that is going to be helpful to me. So that's been kind of a newer thing. And honestly, like, it's just been hard finding a clinician who knows what intuitive eating is. So, you know, a lot of times when I've talked to therapists about it, like, I've had to explain it. And, you know, that takes like, 15 minutes of this. (laughs) Um, Right. And of course they're just like, Oh, that's awesome. But in terms of like really being able to kind of like guide me or, you know, reflect back to me some things that's been a struggle for me. I haven't had a lot of clinicians that I've worked with or just like, you know, peers that are aware of what this is. Yeah. I think it does take some like specialization sometimes to find that. And then also, I mean, what I've found too is that like, because I never, I never went to a therapist specifically for the eating issues either. I kind of went into therapy because of like massive anxiety, which was, you know, from a lot of the underlying issues and also sort of exacerbated by my eating issues and stuff. So that's what drove me in the door. And I was lucky to find a therapist in, in New York, like my first, the first therapist I really clicked with in New York, who did so much great work with me on the underlying issues and came from a place of real self-compassion, introduced me to like meditation and, you know, the concept of self-compassion and self-care, like that was so huge for for dealing with those underlying issues too but like then to go the next step and like do the work on the the food issues like I think I kind of mostly did it on my own like through the intuitive eating book and through um you know listening to podcasts and watching videos and just you know reading and immersing myself in the in the world of body positivity which I did more and more as time went on and like as I also started to specialize in this area in my practice and my work. But I've since discovered that like a lot of therapists and even a lot of dietitians like don't really understand intuitive eating and its function and importance in like healing from these other underlying issues because it's just so ingrained, I think, to like for women to hate their bodies and for women to want to change. And the diet industry has such a hold of all of us mm-hmm. that it makes so much sense that it would with therapists, too, you know, and with dietitians. You know, a lot of folks are just sort of steeped in that world and don't see beyond it. So I think it takes like maybe some specialized training and potentially like personal experience of having had an eating disorder, having had, you know, known some people who've gone through this that like 
to see how important intuitive eating is into the whole puzzle of healing from shame and learning self-compassion. Yep. Yeah. Um, I've found a lot of people in, in my community now who do get it. So if you want any names, I can give you some off mic. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Because I think like even what we're doing now is just like spreading the word about this stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, every time that I have explained intuitive eating, you know, I get people are like nodding their head at me and like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like, you know, it, it seems like something that people need and are desperately longing for. And so spreading the word about, you know, its existence is really important. Absolutely. Yeah. So in your work, you work on like a lot of relationship issues with people, right? I do. Yes. And do you bring intuitive eating into the mix as well when when appropriate or? So that has not been something that has come up too, too often with clients. Mm -hmm. It is a concept that I bring up. I do like relationship coaching and things like that. But then I'm also a therapist and I work with patients who are going through intensive outpatient uh, treatment. And so, you know, like um, alcoholism or for it's mental health. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I lead a skills-based therapy group with women. And mm-hmm. so eating definitely comes up, mm-hmm. you know, a lot. And so, you know, I definitely introduce the concept of IE and we, you know, we talk a little bit more about it. I will sometimes do like mindfulness exercises and like encourage the women to eat mindfully for, you know, I'll bring in some like chocolate or mints or something mindfully. And I, I know like, in most cases, it's just an introduction of the concept. And so that's really what I what I do. I express my own like, very brief history, you know, not going into too many details, but I say like, this is a way that I approach food. Um, I found it to be very helpful. I offer, you know, the book as like a resource, like, hey, this might be something you want to check out. And so it's kind of like planting the seed in that regard. Because, you know, just the format of what I do, you know, isn't to address food, you know, in a lot of specifics, but it's just like, you know, to say like, hey, we're trying to learn how to, you know, treat ourselves better. We're trying to learn how to be skillful in the way that we approach life. And I find that, you know, intuitive eating um, allows me to be skillful in the way that I approach food. So it's been great. Like anytime that like food kind of comes up, I like do what I can to talk a little bit about intuitive eating because I have found it to be so helpful, but not only that, just so healing for me in the way that I approach myself and in my life and, and loving myself more. So that's fantastic. I love that. I've found it to be the same. It's, you know, I feel like once I started to do the work on self-compassion and loving myself more, it just became really clear that like, why did I still have this one area of my life where I wasn't practicing that, you know, like why I was eating and weight and body the only place where I didn't like let myself off the hook a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, it's it just sort of fit into place with all that deeper work over time. So, Yeah. That's awesome. Well, tell me where people can find you online and learn more about your work. Yeah. So my website pretty much has it all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Akira Robinson. That's A-K-I-R-A-H Robinson.com. And from there, you can learn a little bit more about me, you know, links to my Facebook page and Twitter on there as well. And then certainly, you know, on the contact page, if you'd like to email me, you can certainly do that as well. So fabulous. Well, thank you so much, Akira. It's been really great talking with you. Yes, thanks for having me. This was great. 
So that's our show. Thanks again so much to our guest for being here and to you guys for listening. We'll be back again in two weeks with another brand new episode. So be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Android or whatever your favorite podcast app is if you haven't done so already. Meanwhile, I'd love to stay in touch with you online. The best way is by email. So if you join my email VIP list, you'll get exclusive tips about intuitive eating and body positivity and updates about all my work as well well as new episodes of the podcast. So if you go to christyharrison.com slash email, you can sign up there. That's christyharrison.com slash email. And I would love to have you guys all on my VIP list. And then you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Food Psych on Facebook and Food Psych Pod on Twitter. And then I am also on Instagram, just me this time. I don't have a separate account for the podcast, but I'm on Instagram at Christy Harrison. And the first I is a one. The music you're hearing behind me now is by a band called AWOL, and the track is called Food, used under the Creative Commons license. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, stay psyched. Stupid or scared, no work in the kitchen now. Who put you there in that perfect position now? Foodies want your food, and you ain't really beat. Have you ever went over your friend's house?